Welcome to Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. This is the show where I perform improvised horror stories. I'll be pulling uh, various horror story titles from a hat. And then make up the stories from there. If you'd like to submit story titles yourself, you can email them at quarantinespookshow at gmail.com. Now that the preface is over, let's begin. This first story is called, Hey, is that guy dead? shook his head a little and I looked over again at the park bench at the human body figure with a tarp over it Henry asked him again well John what do you think is that guy dead Jonathan said, uh, I don't, I don't know, man. Uh, maybe he's sleeping? It's really hard to tell from this distance. And then Henry said, well, you know, why don't you go over and, like, poke him or something? And then John said, well, the guy might be sleeping, I don't know, you know. If he is sleeping, I don't want to wake him up. said, yeah, but he's sleeping under a tarp, though, you know, it's more likely that he's dead, really, and then John's just like, well, shit, man, maybe he's just, like, houseless, and it's probably a real pain in the ass to try to sleep under those conditions, if I was in that condition, I would be fucking, I'd count my blessings, uh, every time I was able to get just, like, a wink of sleep. Even like a 20-minute power nap or something. But no, Henry, I have no idea he's dead or not. And I don't want to interact with him. I'd just rather, like, let him be. said, well, yeah, but the park bench is, like, near the, uh, like, all the, the jungle gym and the monkey bars and stuff, and I kind of wanted to, like, fuck around with that, 
And it'll be really distracting if, like, a dead guy was around, like, in the playground and whatnot. And then Jonathan said, well, you know, when you think about it, it's, like, late November. It's really cold. Uh, the pandemic's still happening. So maybe less people will be, like, out and about and whatnot. Especially with this horrific case spike and all that. said, well, yeah, but, you know, monkey bars and all that. And Jonathan was just like, well, you can go poke him if you're so brave about it. If you really want to wake him up. And then Henry said, no, 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 no. I'm not touching a dead guy. I didn't even touch my grandmother's hand at her open casket funeral. So I'm definitely not going to poke some stranger, you know, and disturb his peace. And Jonathan said, well, it's, you know, it's more likely that he's sleeping, really. And Henry said, oh no, you see his uh, exposed calf over there? Jonathan looked over at the tarp and saw that the body has had one exposed, uh, bear calf sticking out with a worn out sneaker and a very droopy droopy sock but when he looked at the calf it was it was very swollen and purple like uh all the blood from the body just kind of swelled to that area said, see, well, you know, like, people are alive, they have, like, an active bloodstream that kind of keeps their blood pumping and all that. I don't think it would pull down to one person's leg, unless their heart wasn't pumping and they were dead. Jonathan thought about it, he's just like, well, you know, he could have some kind of condition where he has, like, some sort of swelling or something. said, oh, swelling, really? And John was just like, well, shit, man, I don't know. Anyway, I don't want to, personally, I don't want to go anywhere near the dude there. And Henry just said, well, yeah, but, you know, monkey bars, you know? So Jonathan said, all right, how about this? Let's just come back tomorrow. If he is sleeping, then he would have gotten up and went somewhere else, or, you know, even if, he's, even if he's still in the park, he might be sleeping elsewhere, or whatever. And, you know, if he's dead, we can call someone and they can, like, pick up his body or something. Maybe they can drop him off at a morgue or something. said, yeah, they uh, installed, like, a new morgue near the, uh, next to the hospital nearby for all the COVID deaths. And Jonathan said, yeah, yeah, I heard, heard my parents talk about it. But we can check tomorrow, you know. And Henry 
he's like, okay, fine. But you know, how about we make it a little bit more interesting? Jonathan asked, uh, in what way? Henry said, well... If he is dead, then you owe me five dollars. If he's not dead, I'll give you five dollars. Jonathan said, well, that doesn't sound very interesting. And then Henry was just like, all right, whatever, man. Fuck you. We don't have to do it. And Jonathan was like, no, no, wait, wait. Um, no, that sounds like a fine bet, you know. I don't have a lot of money anyway, you know. I could splurge five bucks on a silly bet. But wait, what about this? What if, say the guy's alive right now, but when we check on him tomorrow, he's died, he, he's dead. Said, so you're saying if he dies between now and when we check on him tomorrow, that's what you're asking. And Jonathan was like, Yes, would I still win the bet if he was alive today? And Henry said, Well, you can settle the bet right now if you go check on him now. And then Jonathan said, I, I told you, I'm not gonna check on that body. Henry chuckled and was just like, well, then it only counts for tomorrow, then. And then Jonathan was just like, oh, okay, shit. And then Henry said, well, fuck, if we're gonna... If we're gonna go back to the park tomorrow, then, like, what do you wanna do today? And Jonathan just said, uh, well, you know, I downloaded a, uh, a retro graphic, uh, PS1 demo disc. Uh, there's a really sick sauna simulator on it. We can go play that. And then Henry said, yeah, yeah, that sounds cool. Jonathan, uh, go to Jonathan's house. Both of their parents made a, uh, social distancing slash germ pod agreement. They would both get tested regularly, regularly, and then in exchange they'd, uh, let their kids hang out and stuff, you know, as long as everyone was safe and all that jazz. Jonathan's mother was nervous because she hasn't been able to book a test in, like, seven weeks. She was worried about her child's safety, as with Henry's, less so, but still, moderate amount. She didn't want anyone in her family to get sick, least of all her son. But she still let the kids hang out and stuff. It was a calculated risk uh, in the name of sanity. 
So John's mother is just uh, sitting uh, in the living room reading a manga volume of Judge's Bizarre Adventure. Jonathan comes downstairs and he's just like, hey mom, can Henry sleep over tonight? And John's mom said, well, what did Henry's mom say? And then John said, yeah, well, she's cool with it. Mom said, well, then, yeah, I'm cool with it. Fuck it. She had a glass of wine next to her, and John was just like, I better not uh, bug her tonight. She seems pretty stressed about the whole pandemic thing. John went back upstairs to see Henry, and John was just like, yeah, it's cool, you know, you can crash here. And then Henry was just like, oh, cool, yeah, we can just go to the park tomorrow and then check on that uh, dude or whatever. And then John was just like, yeah, we can totally do that. We can do that when we wake up after breakfast or something. And then Henry said, but John, look. Jonathan looked out the window and he saw snow. Heavy snowfall. Already starting to cover the ground and the tree branches and roofs of houses and tops of cars. said, oh, so if he's, you know, if he's awake, then he'll probably move somewhere, find some shelter or something. And Henry said, yeah, but if I'm right, then he'll still be there. So they both went to bed, uh, spent the night, uh, telling each other horror stories, which were mainly news stories that trickled down from their parents. morning, uh, John and Henry woke up. John's mom was made some pancakes with uh, blueberries and cherries in them. Her volume of uh, Judge's Bizarre Adventure from the six-story arc was resting face down on the table. breakfast and had some orange juice. It would have felt like just a regular snow day if, you know, every day didn't feel like a snow day. Yeah, okay, it sounds good to me. 
So they put on their boots and their coats. Started to head to the park, which was only like a 10 minute walk. Jonathan, nothing was prettier than a fresh crystallized snowfall. The icicles on the branches. The fresh, untainted coat of snow on the ground. It was truly mesmerizing and hypnotic. that sense of childhood whimsy was interrupted by Henry being all like, uh, what am I gonna spend your five dollars on? Maybe candy? I don't know. Maybe I'll just, like, dump it on my Steam account? Donate it to my favorite Patreon? I don't know. I don't know, John. And then John was just like, alright, well, don't fucking count your chickens before they hatch or whatever. And then Henry was just like, well, have you ever had chickens before? And John was just like, no. And then Henry said, well, I did. They're pretty cool. loud though, but they're a lot of fun. My uncle would joke that uh, chickens were too dumb to know that they were dead. I had one favorite chicken named uh, Steve-O. Uh, all the chickens were slaughtered for meat purposes and whatnot. Except for my personal chicken, Steve-O. But Steve-O eventually died of natural causes. But I'm so sure of this bet because I know what dead things look like. And then John was just like, well, whatever, Penner, you creep. Was just like, no, I'm not a creep, man. I just, I just know a dead thing when I see it, you know. And I'm willing if I can, if I can make some uh, profit off of it, then like, fuck it, you know. And John was just like, okay, whatever. They were on the block where the park was. And then they approached the park. saw the bench with the same body on it with a tarp over it and a fresh coat of snow on top of the tarp 
They both kind of stared blankly at it. Both silent for at least two minutes. Jonathan said solemnly, I, Henry, I guess you were right. And Henry was just like, yeah, I guess I was. And then John said, well, I thought you knew, you don't sound confident about it. I thought you knew, like, dead things and stuff. And then Henry was just like, well, I didn't know for sure. I was just, like, talking big, you know? And it's different. It's like a human body, you know? That's a whole, whole other wheelhouse. And then John was like, uh, maybe, maybe not. said, well, we still gotta make sure that he's dead, though. I guess we should tell my mom or something. And Henry was just like, well, you should still go check if he's dead anyway, you know? You don't know for certain. It could be a heavy sleeper. And then John was just like, dude, come on. Henry was just like, tell you what, you don't have to give me five bucks if you go check if he's actually dead. Like, check his, like, pulse or something. And then John was just like, well, where would I do that? And then Henry was just like, I don't know, use your thumb or something. And then John said, I'll give you ten dollars if you don't peer pressure me into doing that. Then Henry took a breath. He was just like, oh, alright, well, I guess I'll do it. Henry slowly walked over. Leaving soft, uh, snow prints behind his feet as he walked. And before Henry touched the body, he turned to John and was like, how do you, how do you check a pulse again? And John was like, I don't know, I, don't, I thought you knew. Was just like, I guess I'll use my thumb or something. And then Henry pressed his thumb against uh, the body's neck on the main artery. And then Henry said, Oh, John, I think he's alive. I'm feeling something. And then John was just like, Get the fuck out of here. No, you don't. Henry was just like, yeah, no, it's, it's that feeling of beat, you know? And then 
John walked over. It's like, no way, that's not true. Then Henry was just like, yeah, go see it for yourself. And then on an impulse, uh, John made a, made a drastic move and completely removed the tarp from the body. And then they saw the body for what it was dead and blue in the face. Mouth wide open. Gaps between his teeth. A look of shock in his eyes, but also a knowingness as well. body, he was certainly dead for longer than a day. John and Henry revolted back. He'd be like, alright, well, let's just call, let's just tell my mom. Let's, let's get out of here. And Henry was just like, wait, put the tarp back on. And John was like, yeah, yeah, okay. So they put the tarp back on. And they walk back to their house. Uh, at a pretty brisk pace. Uh, John texted his mom saying, like, hey, you're at the house. I gotta tell you something. mom said oh shit okay they cursed together they were pretty cool with that so then john and henry arrive at the house and then john's mom's just like hey guys what's going on and then john says we there's a dead body at the park and his mom said what Yeah, we saw it yesterday, but we weren't 100% sure, and we didn't know what to do, so we're doing something now. And then John's mom was just like, alright, well, let's, let's, all walk, let's all walk to the park together and check it out, and then I'll call someone or something. They walked together. Uh, John thought about uh, the inclination of people uh, when they want to solve a problem. Their answer that the solution to that problem is to just call someone, as if that's always guaranteed to work. And John wondered how true that was. So they make it to the park, and then. John's mom just said, alright, where is this thing? John and Henry stare at the bench. And it's empty. The tarp's gone, as so is the body. And then John 
Jones is like, no, no, it was right here. It was, like, practically frozen and everything. Then his mom said, well, do you think someone maybe picked it up already? And then Henry said, it hasn't been that long. I don't see how that could have happened. So John's mom nodded, slowly. She already had enough on her plate as it was. Didn't really think too deeply about it. She just kind of said, well, I guess maybe someone already took someone already took care of it. Come on, let's head back. And then Henry was just like, well, I want to fucking play on the monkey bars. And then Jonathan was like, dude, fuck the monkey bars. Let's just get out of here. So they head back to the house. They spend the rest of the afternoon together. Not really doing much. They just kind of stared into space a lot. Had some sparse conversation. Trying to pretend things were normal, but... They knew it'd never be normal between them again. Eventually, uh, Henry's mom picked up Henry. And then John and John's mom had dinner together. So the John's just trying to sleep the past couple days thinking about mortality and what that means spent the whole night trying to sleep and doesn't succeed. He eventually goes down to the kitchen and has some Cheez-Its. His mom doesn't like him snacking late at night, but in this instance, he, he figured that she wouldn't mind. snowfall comes and Jonathan's just munching on some Cheez-Its and drinking some milk watching the snow and as Jonathan's looking out the window looking outside he sees far in the distance, but not too far. Not further than the window's light. He sees a body, uh, covered in a tarp, with a fresh coat of snow on it. 
Okay. This next story is called Insects Invade the Cave of Solitude. probably known as the most intricate museum about insects on the globe on the in the world located just out of Milwaukee Wisconsin insectopia uh, gather tourists from around the globe as insect enthusiasts and specialists even dabblers of arachnids. They discuss the anatomy of insects, the history of their study, and live carcasses of the insects. curious about their anatomy. Montessori was excited to go to this museum. It was recommended to her by her friend and colleague, Delaware Jones. student herself and though she was an undeclared major she certainly considered uh, pivoting it to focus in the study of insects and arachnids any form of creepy crawly she was down for it
She booked an Airbnb for a week. Just so that she could hang out in Milwaukee and hang out at the museum. In fact, one night she's at a bar in Milwaukee and really tasteful dive and just, you know, hanging out with a bunch of Milwaukee dudes, you know, they're talking about horror movies and all that, special effects, just being all like, oh yeah, the things like the Holy Grail, practical effects, man. insects, you should check out the Cave of Solitude. And then his Canadian friend said, oh no, don't tell her about that. And then Brenda said, no, what's the, what's the Cave of Solitude? And then the Milwaukee guy was just like, alright, so... You know, not many people know this, but, uh, Insectopia was built in, like, the 1910s, you know? It was kind of like a half-assed way to try to compete with the Chicago World's Fair. So they tried to build an insect museum to the scale of the Chicago World's Fair. Which they succeeded in the spectrum of insect museums, for sure. But when they started building it, they were a bit too ambitious, probably. The Milwaukee guy belched. And then the Canadian guy said, go home, Dave, you're drunk. And then Dave said, well, I'm still talking, let me finish my tale about Insectopia and the Cave of Solitude. Alright, eh? The Canadian said, well, my accent's not even that strong. Come on. So the Milwaukee guy, Dave, was just like, so anyway. So the Cave of Solitude is a cave that was uh, located near the museum. Still there to this day. But while they were building uh, the museum, they had an idea for an extended exhibit. Where they would uh, unleash a lot of bugs and insects into the cave and making the cave an installment of the museum so that people can see how bugs actually lived in the ground and in a natural habitat, you know. Kind of like a safari thing, but for insects. But the thing is, they released all kind, kinds of bugs there, you know. Um, 
spiders, ants, cockroaches, um, millipedes, centipedes, uh, beetles, all, all kinds of, all kinds of stuff, I assure you. Can't quite think of all the, um, bugs at the time, I'm a bit inebriated, but nevertheless. Now, when it comes to ecological diversity, you can't just cram a bunch of different bugs from different parts of the world on different parts of food chains and be all like, alright, interact, cohabitate. Takes more curation than that, you know? fucking with nature at that point. How do you think all those stink bugs got into the United States, you know? Or the murder hornets? You know, fucking nuts. And don't even get me started of the, on the uh, Australian bull toads uh, in Australia. They're toads, not bugs, but even still. They release all these bugs into this cave, you know. But when they send construction crews down uh, to like build like walking areas and stuff, and kind of make some like plexiglass to make uh, observable points and all that, a lot of people on construction crews start disappearing. Probably like two thirds of them disappear. And then, like, another third from a crew would just be like, I'm not working on this project anymore. And then they'd quit and transfer to a different company and never talk about why. But I know why. Because there's some sort of deep fucking evil uh, within that cave somewhere. All the bugs you can imagine, overtaking you, devouring you. I don't even know what the bugs do over there. But they started calling it the Cave of Solitude because the only time anyone goes, they always go alone. is just like, well, that's a pretty, it's a pretty cute story, I guess, but, uh, I'm not buying your Milwaukee lore. And then Dave was just like, dude, it's as recent as, like, 2015, 2014, 2016. Tell you what, go, there are some Instagram accounts, uh, of adventurers who go on adventures. They would they post uh, pictures and stories about their adventures. But anyone who's been to the Cave of Solitude, uh, their feed stops there. I'll give you some names and you can look it up yourself. Brenda took them on this challenge and looked up the Instagram names. 
of uh, various adventurers. Some mountain climbers. Some more in the Stevo direction of just doing weird, gross shit. But when she went to the end of their feeds, they all stopped when they proclaimed that they were going to go to the Cave of Solitude. And then Brenda was just like, well, shit, now I kind of want to go to the Cave of Solitude at, that point, at this point. Dave was just like, no, no, don't do it. It's a, it's a bad move. Wrong. Nope. And Brenda was just like, well, you know, I just originally just want to, like, study bugs and stuff. But now I want to see, like, the Cave of Solitude. Like, that seems like that could be, like, a total break breakthrough in, like, my fledgling insect career, you know? Just think of all, like, the studying you can do can do down there. Maybe new species even developed, who knows. So Dave said, well, I think it's a bad move, but in case you survive, I'm going to give you my phone number. So if you do survive, I can text you a big whopping I told you so. So Dave wrote his phone number on a bar, bar napkin. And Brenda didn't want to admit it, but she was kind of into it. The Canadian guy just kind of shook his head. And was just like, oh, fuck, Dave, you're nuts. And Dave was just like, ah, yeah. So the next day, uh, with some Gatorade bottles and some Cliff Bars, Brenda, Brenda was ready to take on the Cave of Solitude. She wasn't expecting that she would be doing any hiking in Milwaukee. Wisconsin, it's just like one giant square, just one big flat square pretty much. she headed in. She uh, posted something on her Instagram so that people would know uh, if she disappeared where she was. Once the cave started to get dark, uh, that's when it got sticky. slime on the floor and walls. She just thought, oh, this is nasty, but I guess that's bugs for you, you know?
getting darker and darker the further she went. There are certain points where she had to like climb down. But she didn't have any proper climbing or hiking gear with her. So it made it super complicated. She was already seeing some bugs around. Cave dwelling uh, insects, you know. A lot of roaches and whatnot. Creatures that like the dark. Eventually she fell in, into a deeper chasm. It was a long fall too. Probably a couple yards deep. She slid down a wall and she was just like, fuck, I don't think I can actually get up after this. At this point the walls and floor were much, much stickier. walking forward. Started to see even more bugs. Of different varieties. takes a rest and turns on her flashlight, or turns it on brighter, rather, and starts eating one of her cliff bars. And when she turns the light on brighter, she sees a skeleton next to her. body next to that, with uh, some flesh still on its corpse, and maggots eating it. It nauseated her and almost made her uh, regurgitate her cliff bar, but she held it in. She sighed, shed, shed a tear or two, wondering if she'd die in the Cave of Solitude, feeling ill-equipped of making such an excursion. Remarkably, 
but you checked her phone and still had service. She went through her contacts list and saw uh, Dave's number there. So she started sending a text. Pretty much said, hey, I'm, uh, uh, you were right. Uh, you told me so. I'm in the Cave of Solitude. Pretty worried that I'm gonna die here. Can you come uh, pick me up? Uh, bring a lot of rope. And pull me out of this cave. And then she got a text back uh, from Dave that said, on my way with a heart emoji. And then Brenda was just like, ah, fuck. This final story is called The Immuno Compromisation Cabinet. In the 1850s, there was a snake oil salesman named Green Marino that professed to the acclaim of the immunocompromisation cabinet. Sure, when he went to town to town in the Midwest and Old American West, people would just say the immunocompromisation cabinet, I can barely say that. The Immunocompromisation Cabinet. And then Green Marino would be like, yes, that's right. It's just one simple cabinet where you can store anything in it, and then when you pull it out, it becomes the cure that you need. He'd go around in different towns. You, sir, what do you, what's your ailment? And the guy would be like, I have a skin disease and I'm dying. And then Green Marino would be like, oh great, I have just a thing for you. See this bottle of whiskey I have here? Just put it in the cabinet. 
wait a day, and then, boom, cured skin disease. In fact, I already have some whiskey stored just for this occasion. So I pulled out a whiskey bottle and then just uh, splashed it on the guy with the skin disease, and he drank it. Drank, had like three to five shots worth. Green Marino said, uh, oh, how are you feeling now? And then, uh, the guy said, uh, better, I guess. I don't know. Feeling a bit drunk. And Green Marino said, great. Totally works. Nailed it. And he'd sell this cabinet, uh, through the Midwest, through, uh, the Deep West, Pacific Northwest. Upper Midwest, the South, wherever. And Green Marino became known over the years. And towards the end of his life, uh, as his last show of salesmanship, he wrote a memoir about his life the last thing that he could sell and retire on. And he pretty much admitted, like, oh yeah, that was all pretty much, those were all scams, you know. All the liquids and herbs and stuff. It was all a hoax just to make some coin. And the travel and whatnot. However, the one thing that did captivate me was the immunocompromisation cabinet. Now, it started off as BS. Just sell people a cheaply made cabinet, tell, tell them it's magic, and then boom, make some coin. And I'm good with woodwork. woodwork. I uh, made some of these cabinets myself. There's one cabinet that I couldn't quite put my finger on. Had a specific varnish to it, had a specific paint job. I have no other way to describe it other than I was totally in the zone when I made this cabinet. While I tried to, you know, sell my scams and all that, this one cabinet I never, I never sold because it actually worked. It would only work with small amounts of liquid, say a small vial of something. If I had a fever or something, I'd put a small vial of, uh, could be water. Let it sit for a day or two. And it'd come out as a syrup, and I'd drink it, and then I'd feel better. This happened with other ailments as well. With friends and strangers alike. But I always kept it with me, and I always kept it hidden. So I didn't want anyone to know 
what true power that I had. Except for you, because I want your money. But eventually Green Marino died. Not really selling many copies of his book. And he died in poverty. However, he became a thing of folklore in the Midwest. And his estate was fairly coveted. A lot of the objects were distributed to various museums, uh, things I'll talk about like the Old West or the Oregon Trail or whatever. Any sort of 1800s uh, American West, Midwest kind of history or folklore, you know, you'd likely see one of uh, Green Marino's uh, trinkets or hobnobs or what have yous. But the cabinet he talked about was found in one exhibit in, in, uh, in San Francisco. American West Museum. It just had a lot of gear in it, you know, a lot of tools and whatnot, diagrams to blow rigs and all that. cabinet there was just advertised as just like kitchenware, you know. You really wouldn't think anything of it at first glance other than, oh, that looks really old. But that's not what Hal Leonard knew. Hal spent a long time tracking this cabinet down. He read the published copy of the memoir. Tracked its location from auction to auction. try to find a cure for uh, COVID-19 to get rid of this uh, virus once and for all. He had it earlier in the year, and so he figured if you put a if you put a vial in, it'd come out as some sort of vaccine or medicine or something. Hal's nervous but excited. He was willing to believe in anything just for a cure. And to be credited as, credited as the one to save humanity from the pandemic.
was tricky because uh, the museum was only having uh, limited visiting hours. So when no one was looking, Hal would just put in a, a vial of water in the cabinet. And then left. He waited a day and then returned. Turned to the cabinet, he pulled out the vial. It looked different than water. He had a friend in the city who was a vaccination spe specialist who was able to test whether or not he had the antibodies or not, or if he was properly vaccinated of COVID 19. So when he left the museum, he, uh, took a risk and he drank the vial he didn't quite feel any different feel any different so I went to the specialist and she ran some tests on him she discovered that he was completely vaccinated of COVID-19. He had the antibodies ne necessary, seemingly coming from nowhere. And the specialist said, oh my god, this is amazing, Hal. And Hal was just like, yeah, I'll show you how I did it. Just, uh, yeah, just I want to celebrate. So we spent that night going to bars and stuff, just being outside, not wearing a mask. Then a lot of people yelled at him, so we did wear a mask so we wouldn't get any shit from it. But it was the first night in a, about a year where he could enjoy himself freely, being in public and whatnot. So as he was walking down Columbia Avenue, he was starting to feel a little bit sick. More ways than one. He was getting to the point where he could barely walk. swelling inside of his body, burning sensations, skin started to erupt in boils, and he didn't understand what was happening to him. But that's only because he didn't read the unpublished version of Green Marino's uh, memoir, 
See, in the unpublished version of the memoir, Green Marino went into more detail about the mysterious cabinet. He said, yes, it's true. One thing I would do with the cabinet is, uh, once I realize what the specific cabinet can do, that would be the one I'd take on the road with me as an example. So I can test it in front of people and then prove it's real and then sell them the shitty one. Classic scam that I hope carries on uh, for generations. But one horrific thing I did discover about this cabinet is that the cabinet only works if you have the disease when you put something in. If you're overall well, or if you recovered from the disease already, you can't expect a cure. What will happen, and this is coming from the many people that I've tested this cabinet with, is that even if you do get a cure of the thing you seek, also developed the sickness of every other sickness that the cabinet developed a cure for. That's the mysterious way of the immunocompromisation cabinet, and I have no control over it. So I heed this to you, if you ever find my cabinet, make sure you're actually sick if you before you use it. Hal didn't never found out about this excerpt because the editor uh, for Green Marino's memoir just thought that was bullshit and decided to cut it out. All this nonsense about the mysterious cabinet. Who needs it? Well, Hal needed it. And he riffed and suffered on the street and sidewalk, not knowing why. That was Quarantine Spook Show. I'm Kyle Carezzi. Good night.